welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Welcome to this week's show, the week when rumours have been hotting up on the reopening of the hospitality sector. From will it be April to will it be May to maybe our fresco goes first to perhaps the pubs can open without actually selling any beer and all sorts of other often irritating rumours. What, however, is impressive is that 11 million people have been vaccinated in the UK and we seem to be storming ahead of the rest of Europe. The impact on the drop in the over 80s being hospitalised is exciting to see. So perhaps, finally, we are on the homeward straight to reopening the doors and some sort of normality. Certainly what I've worked out in my business is that there is no point second-guessing and we are simply focused on getting ready for what is likely to be an exceptionally busy summer down in my neck of the woods on the south coast of the UK once we are given the green light. Right, this week I have an awesome guest for you. Someone who really has been there and got the t-shirt in their hospitality adventure. Lee Cash is the founder of Peach Pubs, a collection of 19 proper pubs full of character spread across a number of market towns in the heart of England. I really enjoyed chatting to Lee and hearing about his hospitality journey. Lee's always been driven to become self-employed in the sector. He learnt his craft with some of the best, from Robin Shepherd at Bespoke Hotels and Chef Raymond Blanc, but all the time driven and motivated to test himself, to learn all he could, and get ready to put into practice the art of perfecting a thousand little details to make his own venues successful. I always love chatting to people who really have proper hospitality in their soul, who understand how spaces feel, how the lighting, the candles, the music, the team, the furniture, the layout, the space itself, and so much more comes together to create somewhere special that people really enjoy spending time. After a pandemic year more than ever, I miss the awe in seeing people and places that have nailed this beautiful choreography. I loved Lee's perspectives about pubs being a great leveller. More so, perhaps, than restaurants, you are likely to have every type and age of person hanging out at a bar, ordering a decent pint of beer. You'll get to hear about how Lee and his business partner Hamish brought such different skills to the business, and how over the years, at different stages in their growth, these different perspectives have helped Peach grow into such a fantastic business. You'll also laugh at the story of Lee somehow being so skint one morning that he had to use his passport as a deposit in an Aussie backpackers, to a few hours later saying yes to his first chef job cooking alone on a boat full of divers on the Great Barrier Reef. That say yes now, work out how later kind of attitude that so many driven entrepreneurs have. I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. If you do, can you please do me a favour? Certainly Apple Podcasts make this easy and I think plenty of other platforms will let you review the show. 
If you could pick up the device you're listening on, find the review section and hit five stars, and even better, say a few words, that would really help me out. I would love your help to get this podcast in front of more people. On Apple, we're currently sat on 108 reviews. And with 100,000 downloads, that's not really a huge number. So let's see if between us we can get that to 200. Leave a few words and I'll read them out on next week's show and be very grateful for your help. Basically, the more reviews, particularly recent ones that I get, the easier it is for me to convince great guests to say yes about coming on the show and having a chat. So it is a win-win for both of us. Okay, thanks again for listening. Let's get over and meet Lee. Cheers. Lee Cash, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You are one of the founders of Peach Pubs, and I'm, I'm really excited to uh, have a chat with you today. Alas, we are not face-to-face due to the current COVID rules. Where in the world are you joining me from, Lee? Um, uh, well, I really, yeah, I wish we were face-to-face. I'm uh, really craving getting together with people in, in person, but I'm, I'm down in uh, South Devon, a village called Thurlston. Um, so, which is a, a great place in the world to be if you uh, have to live through a lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. Can you are you near the beach down in Devon, or are you are you in the countryside? Uh, no, I can I can see the ocean from the front of the house and, and walk down to the beach. That's pretty which, cool. Yeah, it's been a real saviour in this. Yeah, in this for that sure, that really is a saviour. Mm. Yeah. Now, likewise, I can't unfortunately see the sea from my office. I am in Bournemouth, so just a, a sort of a, yeah, a little wave along the coast to you. Uh, but I'm very lucky that after this, I'll be taking my dog and convince my son to come off the computer for a few minutes from homeschooling <laughs> and uh, yeah, take a walk by the ocean, which which really really helps. So, um, for people who don't know Peach, can you just give me some context to the business? How many venues? Where they are generally geographically? How many people you employ? Perhaps turnover? Can you paint a bit of a picture of Peach for yeah, me, please? Sure. Sure, sure. Um, well, we're actually we're twenty years old this year. Two decades of of running um, our lovely pubs. We um, we got into the gastro pub thing sort of quite sort of early on in that in that sort of lovely pub revolution that seems to have taken over the the country. But there's that idea of of amping up the food um, into you know, really great quality. Um, I was running brasseries at, at the time, working with, alongside Raymond Blanc in, in Le Petit Blanc Brasseries, and um, and I just really thought that taking everything that I'd learned from the years of working with him in terms of food and and service, and and I did used to talk about uh, peach pubs when we started. I used to talk to the team about you know creating little brasseries um, in these pubs, and that was really sort of the one of the sort of founding principles of that sort of, you know, better food, a, a great pint or a glass of wine served by somebody that who cares that you're having a great day. Um, and uh, the Rose and Crown in Warwick was the was the first pub. And um, I'd met my business partner, Hamish Stoddart, uh, in that year. And we looked at tons and tons of pubs um, and I decided on that one. And, and, and I was living upstairs running it from dawn till late at night, um, loving every minute of that. And we quickly turned it into uh, you know, a, a place that was heaving, you know, full, full every day. People, we hit on something. Um, uh, we hit on a, a formula that seemed to get people flooding through the doors. And then Hamish had sort of, he'd already built and sold 
the business before and was used to operating with more people on multi-sites and really helped me start you know talking early on about sort of bottling the magic and how you how you sort of grow a team how you communicate um a set of values across a growing number of people um all of which i was highly resistant to at the beginning because i was like i don't need any of that you know energy and um and shared ownership which we'll i'm sure we'll come on to um high energy and shared ownership will will rule the way um and that's all that's all we're going to need but but he sort of cajoled, cajoled and cajoled me into sort of starting to write down some of the things and that we were doing and actually it was the team who started creating this language around peachy peachy not peachy they started saying oh you know lee wouldn't like that that's not peachy um and we say <laughs> um so i can't i can't say that i called it peach pubs you know any sort of sort of genius behind the sort of building a people brand thing um but we just started, no, the language started self-inventing and we, and we jumped on that and, and we quickly managed to, in fact, within 18 months, we had three pubs and um, uh, we now have 19. Um, we've uh, sold two along the way, um, one that wasn't uh, an error, we got the location wrong and one that started out being a it was a great pub for us for years, but the town just got overtaken with tons and tons of competition, and we found ourselves not in the best spot anymore. Um, and we sold that one a few years ago. So, so we've done twenty one new openings um, in twenty years. Um, we've got nineteen now, um, nineteen slightly forlorn, shut pubs apart from a little bit of but. But I don't want to dwell on on that today at all. I'm sure everyone's sick. Yeah, well, we'll touch on it actually. In fact, you just answered about 19 of my questions in one hit, Lee. So that was pretty pretty impressive uh, intro, to be fair. But there's a few topics that you mentioned there that I'm going to come back to. Um, how many people do you employ? Well, you know, in, normally. Uh, yeah, uh, about well, we're, we're sort of yeah, around 500 about 500 people now. Okay. Wow, blows my Excellent. mind. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? And uh, turnover. Uh, 20. Not of people, but cash. <laughs> yeah, hopefully as low as possible in people. Yeah. Um, uh, cash about 28 million. Okay, excellent. So, so yeah, quite quite the sizable um, business. You were very much the, the driving force behind that back in 2002. And I do want to sort of touch on a little bit of, of your journey. You mentioned your time with, with Raymond Blanc there, and we'll touch on Robin Shepard as well as somebody else I know you worked with. Um, but your, so your role in the early days, you know, very much founder, you mentioned you, li- you lived above the pub. So driving force, what's your primary role in the business today? Well, about three years ago, um, I took a, a big decision to, to make a life change. The coast was calling and, um, uh probably i i think i've learned that i'm i'm not the right guy for this sort of stage of a business so that those sort of startup years um my personal skill set was brilliant um hamish is the managing director now um and is much better suited to running the the company in this stage so i'm i'm a non-exec director now and i live in south devon which is you know three hours away from the nearest pub so 
I'm still in, involved um, sort of strategically with the company, um, which I still love very, very much and still very, very proud of, uh, more, you know, as proud as ever of, of, of what it's achieving, um, but I have a very different role myself. Yeah. Well, did it did it work from that work-life balance sort of change you were looking for? Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got two, two young kids and I've been very, very fortunate um, the amount of time I've spent with them, you know, over the past couple of years, a lot, uh, an opportunity that a lot of new new dads and, um, and well, and new mums, you know, don't don't get uh, the in this these days. But um, uh, it's it is really quite bizarre and strange, you know, dealing with your own emotions around something that you've been so close to and and so formative in to to change that role and and. You know, try. I have tried, and I am trying to be. You know, really, really good at that, and and you know, add value in a um, in a different way. But I can't. I can't say it's been emotionally easy. It's been emotionally very, 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 very tough. But it's afforded me um, a lot of headspace uh, to think, and um, I'm sort of getting close to a couple of other projects, um, and. Um, you know, for a very long time, I thought I was going to be man and boy peach pubs, and that was the thing I was going to do for my life. Um, and uh, and and it sort of didn't, you know, by my own sort of hand, that didn't end up that way. Um, and um, some days that feels like the best decision I ever made, and, and there have been days where it's felt like the worst. So, um, but overall, it's I believe that it's the the right thing. For, for Peach and the team there, um, and uh, and yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of yeah, I'm learning, really learning to enjoy the role I have now. Yeah, interesting. It's amazing how many people I speak to who. I think most people say I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in the industry as well. And uh, yeah, God, the dream sometimes of thinking, oh my God, it's such a intensive industry. You know, I think 10 years in this industry is maybe, you know, 30 years in some others, partly just because we're open <laughs> seven days a week, pretty much 24 hours a day, particularly if you throw in a, a hotel element. So I think there's plenty of us that dream about, yeah, finding that utopia of, uh, of doing something else and having a bit of time. But then it's amazing how many people I speak to who were, you know, almost broken at one point and think, yeah, I've got out, but end up back in it and and just really really miss it so uh yeah do you think it's likely you mentioned a couple of other projects but you know potentially in in, in hospitality again or um are you, are you not allowed to do that uh oh yeah, yeah no i am i mean obviously i would never do anything that competed with uh with the peach pups but um we're sort of uh, in different parts of the country now um, i don't know I, I i can't say that i won't end up involved in another restaurant for the rest of my life um uh I have taken on, uh, I'm in the process of taking on a, uh, a non-exec role um, with uh, a pub, pub, small pub company called the Cat and Wickets in uh, Nottinghamshire, which is a, a, a guy, uh, a cricketer, uh, who is coming out of cricket and has got a pub. Um, uh, and actually, it's uh, Harry Gurney and his business partner is actually Stuart Broad, um, obviously also quite a well-known cricketer um Amazing. so uh so i'm doing a sort of coaching role for somebody who's in in the startup phase which is really enjoyable really taking me back to my roots um you know one pub how you go from one pub to two pubs 
So, um, so yeah, so I am already involved in a, in another. There you go. See, you'll uh, you'll be hooked back in in, uh, <laughs> in no time. But uh, yeah, exciting. I can imagine it must be really, yeah, really interesting to go back to those days, which is some of what we're going to talk about today. So let's get back to the to the peachy story you mentioned then, and, and I do love it. I remember um, looking at your uh, pubs a few years ago, actually, long before I was launching a podcast, and just thinking that you know they looked great. I love some of the the wording, some of the terminology. Um, yeah, the you know, great enthusiasm for looking after your team and all sorts of stuff. And one of the key little things of that is just that, you know, is it peachy? Does it feel peachy? What's a peachy pub? What's a peachy team member? It does work really well. And you said it came back, sort of came through by accident. But what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to you, this being peachy? What is that? Um, well, it was, I think I'm quite an intuitive restaurateur. Um, I've sort of, I've always been a, a bit of a party host. And, you know, whether that's a, you know, a, a, a stand up sort of dancing and drinking party or a sit down dinner party. You know, I've always in, I've, I grew up cooking. And um, and so it's sort of it, it's one of the things. So when I was sort of either working for other people or or working for myself, I feel I can see a room and pick up on a lot of body language of, you know, genuinely understand whether people are, are having a good time. And so as this, as a sort of general manager of of a place i can i can buzz around and i can and understand whether table by table people are enjoying the experience and tailor that experience um to make it work for them and i had in a huge amount of enthusiasm um for the the experience that people were having the food that we were putting on the plate the drink that we're putting in the glass, the but also the lighting, the music, the you know whether the, you know watering pots of flowers, making sure the candles are alight, all the little you know the nuances, um, and you know and restaurants um, are a thousand little things done right, and none of them is vastly complex, but it's very difficult to get enough of them right enough of the time that builds that experience that, that that then means enough people have a great experience that drives them to want to return and bring their friends. And hence the reason, you know, that our industry is littered with, you know, super launches um, that fizzle uh, in, a, in a short amount of time, you know, and, and to be able to go walk into the Rose and Crown, you know, now 20 years later, and that pub is still, you know the sort of kingpin pub in in Warwick, and you know it sits right bang on the market square, and and it is loved by a great deal of the community that it that it serves, and and people feel hugely passionate about it. And the the photos that I get through at the minute from my friends, you know, <laughs> people I met, you know, when we started that pub, standing outside the front taking selfies, going, you know. Open the door again, please. We want to come back. Is <laughs> is so heartwarming, um, and and proves that that sort of culture that we started then has as as really is part of our company about the way we we treat people over a, a long term. You know, and that pub's been there for a couple of hundred years or whatever the however long it's been. You know, centuries, and and we've been the sort of custodians of it for twenty. Um, and it and and it's doing all those great things that a public house should do. 
Um, mm, and that's that's amazing. And, and you don't get that with restaurants, do you? That sort of, like you say, that custodianship of a, of a piece of history, I suppose, because, you know, particularly in the casual dining sector, I suppose, you know, new restaurants, the churn rate in restaurants is is huge. Um, but it, yeah, it must be really satisfying to take a piece of sort of, you know, British, British history and give it another new lease of life for the next generation and see that continued in your in your sort of custodianship, I guess. Yeah. And the great thing that we've always, you know, the thing I, I particularly love about the pub versus the restaurant is that is you, is, is I don't think any in any other environment you just get this, it's a great level up. You just get this huge mix of, of people from a, from a town and they all stand next to each other at the bar and sit next to each other in the eatery and it, it's just a great level up. Um, and it's a, it really, I think, not being able to go to them has really sort of highlighted what, a, what you know, it's so many people use these sort of strap lines about, you know, serving the community and it being a hub. And I'm not sure we, well, I'm not sure we really often think about what that means until it's taken away from us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I certainly know what it means because I know how much I'm missing it personally. Yeah, um, and yeah, can't no, 100%, 100%, yeah. You, you mentioned then, and I agree, you know, completely that sort of, you know, a thousand details and it, and it is a, it's a bit of a curse, actually, I think, walking into a room in some ways and noticing, you know, the music, the lighting, the, you know, is, is the music the right level to, uh, you know, to get chat and actually once the chats go in and turn the music, you know, down a bit or up a bit, you, you can control the the vibe in the room. There's so many little things you can tweak and, and, it's, and it's a curse because then, you, you know, even if you're off duty, you walk into venues and I'm here because so irritated that I walk into a, you know, hotel restaurants often were the way where you just think, oh my God, it'd be so simple. You know, there's not even any background music on. You can hear the clinking of cutlery. Yeah. It's such an awkward atmosphere. But to take all of that, very easy when it's in your sort of, you know, in your blood and you feel it as an owner operator, you know, when you were living above the pub, you can really control that. You could probably work out from sitting in the you know, lounge whether the music was the right volume or not. But to try and bottle that, you know, if I if I go across, if I go into any one of your 19 venues, will it, will it you know, instantaneously feel like a peach pub to me? Or are they all so different that you wouldn't necessarily know? And, and how do you bottle up those nuances and, and, and replicate that as a business gets bigger? Well, uh, well, well, if, if we if we um, do what we say on the tin, then uh, then I hope you would you know you would recognise um, it as a peach pub. You know, then they don't all look the same. Um, we design them around the, the the different buildings. We try and make our design sit in each of the pubs. You know, individually. You know, for, whether it's you know got a beautiful. Um, pub on the on the river in in Maidenhead. You've got other you know pubs on the you know a completely different era on the village green and whatever. So it's not a one size fits all, and we try and be sympathetic to the buildings. Um, the menus are similar, but not certainly not a hundred percent the same. Um, but what is absolutely the same across uh, is is that we live is that we live our values, and we are true to that original vision, and we we've always been heavy on training and talking about all these these sort of um you know invisible touches that 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 make make the difference so um and we get a lot of feedback uh, you know a lot of the time about the, the quality of the food and the service and um and one of our values is serving the good stuff um which we can we should talk about as well you know um sort of commitment to the, the quality of the ingredients that you're putting on the plate um, and that and I think that does come through um, uh, uh, and 
uh, in in all the different locations that that we're at. Mm. How do you how do you choose those locations that are matter? Because in the early days, that was very much your role. I think was traveling around mm. finding those. What what makes a good <laughs> location for a, for a peach pub? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was brilliant. I mean, when we first when we started doing it, it was ordnance survey maps, sellotape together with a highlighter pen, and then I'd, and I'd highlight the PHs, the public houses, drive, see them, number them, make notes, you know, and then you were talking to the agents and you knew which ones in an area you'd love to have. And, you know, and then, you know, one or two or three years might go by and it pop up because of circumstance. And we've been great at, at, at turning around sort of pub, big pub co failures where they, they're just not personal enough to make a, a pub work in a town. And, um, and, and we've sort of become reasonably well known for that. And they do come and talk to us and say, do you think you could, make something of this one which is some of the ways that um uh, some of our great great pubs have, have have come to us um it's i mean it's a real networking game so it was a lot of a lot of networking by me and hamish a lot of driving around a lot of um you know sitting outside places on stormy nights in you know Feb- january and february <laughs> um and just you and uh, and using your sort of um, emotional intelligence to to work out you know where those little corners were and, and the sunny side of the street and um the sort of balance of the size of the pub the style of the building the outside space if, if does it have a car park if not where are people going to park and all the bits of the infrastructure that you need to make it work of course you know now it's done a lot more with Google Map and demographic reports, and and you know, and as the gastro pub market has developed, of course, me and our competitors know where all the good stuff is. <laughs> so um, it it's harder, it's harder than it, it than it's harder than it used to be, but it's still possible. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit of luck. Um, how much of that then? Because it sounds brilliant. I love the idea. Yeah, like you say, sat, sat outside in the rain and you know counting the number of people walking past. How much of that in those early days was intuition, and how much of it was a spreadsheet where you tick off? Okay, you know this is the criteria we're looking at. You know, would you even look at you know population size of the village and stuff like that, or did you just go there a bit like the restaurant and go, this feels you know like a peach pub. I can see it. Well, it's funny that you should say spreadsheet because we've <laughs> our whole history has been littered with um hamish who loves a spreadsheet um he, he manages everything with spreadsheets um and and i was intuition only <laughs> there lies the, the key to a good team isn't it? <laughs> yeah so uh so we um so he'd be say you've got to fill in the spreadsheet i'd be saying i don't want to fill in the spreadsheet i just want to <laughs> go and see it and <laughs> Tell you what I think, um, and somewhere in the middle was the was the right answer. Um, I love so, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I have I have those meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I drive my finance director absolutely bonkers if he if he listens to this, he'll be chuckling because uh, yeah, he has to write everything down in a in a very organised and structured fashion, and I have to stand up and wave my arms around a lot and draw a picture. So it yeah. takes all sorts, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, which is um. Which is good. So, but yeah, yeah, it's clearly pretty effective because you, you you said you've only sold one. So does that mean you only got one wrong, or you sold two? I think actually, but two. one wasn't yeah. really your fault because it just changed. But yeah, you sold two, but only one of them was because it was a it was actually a mistake to buy it in the first place. Is that what you said? Yeah, we um we got a little bit carried away with ourselves, um, and we'd open we we 
did a pub in a new build site in Kenilworth called the Almanac, um, which was a uh, you know the first time we sort of converted an urban box into a, into a pub, um, and that um, worked really well for us. And then we thought, right, we're off now. Not only are we going to do these nice old character buildings, but we you know we can com- convert urban boxes into. Uh, you know, new build boxes into and, and create pubs, and we went and did one um, in a, a shopping centre in Leicester, and we learned pretty fast that shopping centres don't want gastro pubs. <laughs> they want, I'm struggling uh, to imagine how that was your intuition. Was that Hamish's spreadsheet that, that did that one? <laughs> no, I found that one. <laughs> uh, really? Take full, oh. credit, full credit for that one. Um, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, we we learned that that wasn't our our natural environment. So, um, but you know, we lived, we learned, we lost some money, yeah, and uh, and we moved on. Yeah, well, good to do it and get it done early. But that is the thing, you know. I, d- I don't have any um, pubs, but uh, often think about it. And certainly in the last couple of days, sort of you know, reading about your journey and reminding myself of Peach, I was like, yeah, I could I could see doing a pub. There's something you know, really special and mm. different about them, I think, that yeah, you couldn't replicate in a shopping centre. Um, I want to touch quickly on your background before we come back into Peach, because, um, you know, it was interesting. I think, I think I, you know, I was reading about the fact that you were fundamentally, you know, sort of brought up on decent food and credited your mum with that because it was you and three siblings largely brought up by your mum alone. But, but she seemed to be, uh, I think, you know, worded as a, as a bit of hippie and into food. Is that fair that the sort of interest in food came from her? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, I was the eldest of three younger sisters. Um, there was uh, and just my mum, and she was a she was a great home cook. Um, uh, we, we didn't have a you know, didn't have a bunch of cash. Um, sort of cooked from from scratch, um, and I sort of you know grew up helping you know with lots of stuff around the house, in, including including food so me and her used to used to cook together so I just had that sort of you know sort of that education from a young age at home um and you know I really I just I just enjoyed it um and I started working in a local pub uh very young uh as well and the sort of two things clicked together and then I you know I went straight from school to college uh, to do my uh, BTEC national diploma in uh, Torquay, and then and then up to Bournemouth, actually, where you are. Um, yeah, my neck of the woods. Yeah, how was that? Uh, yeah, I had a gr- I had a great time. Early nineties, fantastic, uh, fantastic music scene. You know, I always think that that was a great moment in club culture. Um, great dance music of the early nineties in and around Bournemouth, and and being sort of just near enough London, isn't it, that you get a lot of stuff sort of coming down the, the M23 or whatever, um, coming down yeah, that way. And there was, it was a, it was a great, it was a great time in, in club culture. So yeah, I had the a, academy. What year, what yeah. year were you born, Lee? Uh, 74. Okay, I'm 75. I was just thinking, I think we might have crossed, I was at Bournemouth College, funny enough. And uh, yeah, so we may have, we may have crossed paths very closely yeah. uh, in a past life. So yeah. yeah, that that job you said you got, I think it was Worcester's, wasn't it? The first sort of pub job. What was it? Because yeah. you, you know, you said that was, that was probably the reason you went into hospitality is just loving the industry. What what was it about working in that pub that, that sort of, you know, made hospitality your destiny, I suppose? Um, 
Well, it was it, it was a person, you know, and I've been lucky to have a great num- number of sort of fantastic sort of coaches and mentors in my life. And the first one there was a guy called Paul, um, and I just sort of idolised him. I thought he was really cool. Um, I remember he had a white lotus, <laughs> um, and he, you know, and he he was that. Uh, he was that sort of host. He, he knew everyone in town. He was, you know, he was funny. He was a, a, a great character in in the place. Um, you know, I think he he probably had a lot of qualities that <laughs> we haven't repeated in Beach. He's a bit of a bad lad as well, I think. Um, but as a sort of thirteen-year-old, I just I just thought he was, you know. I just thought it was great, and I just love being there <laughs> much more than I love being at school. Um, and so I was, I was, you know, peeling veg and washing dishes, and I wasn't old enough to, you know, to work on the bar. But then I, you know, but then I was stocking up at the end uh, of services, and you know, and uh, and I was allowed out to come and join the grown ups and have a bottle of Becks. Um, and uh, they were the days when they used to do that as a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We get away with that anymore, would we? There's no. a sign of how the, no. how the industry's it, changed. You know, and it did. It just sort of clicked for me. Um, and I, was, I guess I was very lucky. And if you know at thirteen what you want to do, um, you can get out and get concentrating on it, and you can you can get going. You know, and you know, I was 20, 27 when we opened the Rose and Crown, so. I suppose that's yeah, that was that was really fast work actually. Mm. Yeah, um, and along that journey, I love the story of you in uh, in Australia. So this, I think you managed to. I only use the word blag. I hope you don't mind, but blag your way onto a boat as a chef. Can you just tell that story? Because I think it, it, it's sort of indicative, I suppose, of that entrepreneurial. You know, don't let yeah. just say yes and then work it out later. Yeah, well, I'd, um, I got to Cairns in uh, Northern Queensland uh, with ten bucks left. Uh, I had to give my passport to the youth hostel to let me stay um, because I didn't have any money. And it was sort of quite usual then that they would take your passport off you so that you couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and uh, I was walking up and down the, the the seafront, going in and out of all the hotels and, and bars, looking, saying, look, I'll, you know, I'll do anything. Has anyone got a job? Um, wasn't having a great deal of luck. And, uh, and I went... I was talking to, I think I was just talking to somebody on the street and they said um, that they said that one of the boats had lost a ship's cook on, on short notice. Uh, you know, when I say ship, you know, dive boats with 20 people on, um, had, had, had lost someone at short notice and I should go down. And they sort of pointed in, pointed me in the right direction. And I walked in the shop and said, hey, you're looking for a cook. And they said, yeah. And, they, and I said, well, I can do that. And they said, um, can you, you know, can you do food and drink, breakfast and lunch and dinner for twenty people on a three-day trip? Uh, and I just said, yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> sure I can. Um, and they said, great. Um, and it was about probably midday, and they were the boat, you know, due to go out at four p.m. So I think the fact that they were so desperate, they just, they were like, they couldn't believe someone had just walked in. Um, and who said they, you know, could do it? And I went straight down to the um, library, photocopied a few recipes. Uh, you know, I had a couple in in, in my head from cooking with, with mum, but you know, mum's sort of home style slow cook 
<laughs> one pot cooking wasn't really sort of dive boat stuff, but um, but with the few recipes that I'd photocopied um, and I just sort of jotted down a list of ingredients and tried to work out roughly how much people would get through in four days. I basically overbought a lot so that I didn't run out. Um, you know, no, you know, I went down to the quayside and we went off to the supermarket, got five or six trolleyfuls of food, and off I went for four days out um, onto the Barrier Reef. Um, which is, I was a sc- I'd already got my scuba diving ticket um, because it's something I was interested in. Um, so I, so I, it was a, you know, it was a dream job. Um, but God, I was ill. And it, I just thought this is, I was like, Lee, this is the best job you're ever going to have. Um, uh, but God, I was seasick and I was kept my toothbrush and my toothpaste in my pocket so that I could go and be sick, brush my teeth, you know, splash cold water on myself <laughs> and carry on. Um, and I was like, I am not losing this job because this is, this is unbelievable. And it was. And, uh, and strangely, actually, the guy I worked for, who's called John the Yank, John Hoovel, uh, a, a reef encounter, who still lives there. I had a, a Zoom call with him not, uh, only a few weeks ago. It was that, 25 years ago? I was working. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Again, I wonder if we were on the same boat. This is a bit weird. I remember I did a dive course on the Barrier Reef, but the food was pretty good. What was the feedback on your food? Did you pull it off? Yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, yeah, no, well, it must have been all right because they, yeah, they kept you employed for another six months, did they? Yeah, 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 I did six months there. Amazing. And I then, uh, you it. know, and, great... back, and, and that was that. In, um, I remember being on the phone to my dad, you know, and I was, I was right, I'm coming back now because I've got to get on because you know I want to get my own restaurant. And he's like, "Guys, sounds amazing." You know, yeah, I've, I've worked too many years, you know nose to the grindstone you know if you're having a great time just stay there and i remember going no i'm not you know i've done a year here i'm i'm coming home because i want to get my own place amazing you were driven from a young age then well yeah mm-hmm. clearly to to start the business at 27 um you ended up working for uh, robin shepherd who who made the introduction to you and i from bespoke hotels um you were there for a while what was it like working for robin and, and what did you learn from him uh He's he amazing, you know, gen, general manager of a, a hotel, you know, st- a real statesman. Um, he could just talk to anybody. He always would be able to find the thing that they were interested in and have enough knowledge to sort of draw them into a conversation and make them feel like they'd known him forever. So, he, he, you know, the thing about Robin is he, he knows enough of the cricket enough of the rugby, enough of the football, enough of what's going on at Chelsea Flower Show, enough of what's going on in the new restaurant opening, enough of what's going on in the news to to wrap all his guests into conversation um, and, and, and sort of uh, and be interesting to a really wide variety of people. Um, and he's just, I mean, you've, you've, you've spoken to him. He's just... He's just uh, a joy to be around, um, and um, and he sort of took me under. You know, he he sort of took it upon himself to coach me quite a lot, and and actually uh, it was him I went and spoke to after a year at the Bar Spa Hotel, and and said, look, I've been to London, you know, Quaglinos, you know, I've been and had lunch at Quaglinos, um, 
I think Metso had just opened, you know, Terence Conran was at the height of his powers. And I said, Robin, I just, I'm not sure that hotels are going to be where I'm at. Um, I think this brasserie thing is is going to be more me. And he said, well, Raymond Blanc has just opened Le Petit Blanc in Morton Street in Oxford, um, which was a Conran designed restaurant. Um, you know, and, and I know the, the general manager, would you like to do a... Um, you know, go and do a, a, a go and work with them for a, a short period of time and see how you get on. And he fixed that up for me, um, which was, you know, incredibly generous of him and kicked off the, the next stage of, of my career. Mm. No, that's really nice, isn't it? I think it happens a lot. I think if you work in hospitality, fundamentally, you just really like other human beings and that sort of shared adventure and making sure that people fulfill their potential and encouraging that is part of it. What did you learn from working with Raymond Blanc that was different from what you learned working with Robin? Um, Raymond um, is always was and is probably the, the 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 greatest natural cook I've ever met. You know, if Raymond cooks for you, you know you've been cooked for. Um, he is just. He's, an, he's just incredible as a as a producer of, of delicious food. Um, so we've got really into you know the you know the ingredient, the, how important the the quality is of of what you're putting on the plate. Um, he introduced me to um, Peter Allen, you know, and Aubrey Allen have been our butchers right from the beginning, and and his son. Um, Russ is a, is a great friend of mine, you know, so we started learning about, you know, grass-fed um, suckler herd and dry-aged beef. And, um, and I think even then we were buying our pork from Jimmy Butler in Suffolk, uh, which is where peach still gets all its free-range pork from um, now. Um, and... You know, I mean, I could barely, you know, Raymond used to, uh, he's very frenetic. He would come in howling at me about all the things I'd done wrong and why the restaurant wasn't set up right. And half of it I would understand and half of it I wouldn't because he speaks with a very heavy French accent. In those days, you know, he'd have, you know, two cigarettes on the go. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be this sort of whirlwind of a, of a man. Um, uh, pretty difficult at times to work work around um but i sort of but i was determined not to you know i wasn't going to be a quitter and determined not to be sort of scared off by this crazy energy um and and just learned a lot about about food really in that in that in that time that's the first that's the first pretty blunt restaurant <clears throat> and you know and the volume we were doing i mean that, that was a 150 seat restaurant nearly what are we talking now 25 years ago and we were i think we were taking about forty thousand pounds a week then wow you know so it was incredibly busy you know i mean that was what you learned how to run a restaurant floor um uh and then and then my next my next great boss guy called sunil punjabi um joined uh as as the general manager and i was his deputy um and then that was um, a great education in in you know in running restaurant floors, um, watching watching tables, learning who your guests were, um, starting to understand marketing and you know 
um, connecting you know connecting to people and making them come back um, so yeah so I did uh, Oxford and Cheltenham and then ran and opened the restaurant in Birmingham yeah. so it's a pretty oh, awesome wow. sort of apprenticeship and and mentorship isn't it to uh, to get those kind of humans to inspire you which is which is why i guess you were you know so well placed to start your own business pretty young what was the trigger that made you you, you said you'd always known you wanted to sort of you know have your own place was there a particular trigger that went right now is the time to go from employed to self-employed um yeah, a couple couple of things. Um, one, I just um, well, so yeah, the, the trigger was I did a year in Birmingham, um, and I you knew I was getting close to the point. But we had a really successful year. So then, at the beginning of my second year, I said to myself, right, I'm going to run this for a second year. You know, if I can prove that I can, you know, do the things I need to do. So write and um, recruit my own team, you know, recruit my own chefs for this, this restaurant, recruit, you know, recruit and train my own front of house team, um, uh, write and execute a marketing, um, you know, budget and, and make campaigns happen and, and make people come to events. And um, do I think that I can learn all the people in this, you know, the, the, the people that I need to know and network properly in the town, in the city, um, and so I set myself a sort of set of 10, maybe 10 tests um, and beat the profitability that I'd achieved in the first year. In the second year, I was like, if I can tick off all of those things, then I think I'm, then I think I'm ready. Um, I also um, had this dream of this shared ownership um, idea, which still, which we still operate today in Peach. Um, and because everyone that I'd interviewed, whenever I was asked them the question, what did they want to be doing in five years' time? No one ever said to me that they wanted to be MD of Hilton or anything like that. They, the majority said, I want my own place one day. And I thought, I'm going to take that and, and try and work out a way of sharing a piece of the action with the team that, that make it happen. Um, and that will be how, you know, over multiple pubs, you still get that owner-operated feel, um, and and therefore trade. You know, have a have a higher level of trade, a stronger level of trade than than the market average. So that was a sort of founding principle, um, which we started with. Which just while you're on there, actually, because I'm interested. So, so, yeah, sorry to because it will take us off on a slight tangent, but it, it feels right. like an appropriate time to ask. How how do you do that? Because it, I agree with you 100. If if you're in that interview, some people you interview, yep, that's what they want to do. When you then applied it to your business, were you looking for people who could sort of, you know, put money on the table and buy in or were you giving them the opportunity to earn the business? And, and when it was a sort of, you know, JV, was were you, were you talking a percentage or was this purely, you know, sort of owner, owner operator, but almost like the franchise model, I suppose, where you were sat? beside them or was it all of those there's quite a lot of questions in that question Lee but mm. I think you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah sort of what and the answer is is all of the above um you know right. um, some people put some cash on the table um when you know some people were working with us and we you know we got to the point we said right you know the next pub we find you know we'll do we'll do a deal with you um and it was it was quite ad hoc in the early days very very person by person it wasn't you know really a sort of uh, uh, you know we hadn't created a uh, format for it it was a sort of negotiation with the individual sometimes people sacrificed bonuses and salary sometimes they wrote a little bit of a check 
whatever, that wasn't really what was important. What we were trying to do was was tie them in and make, you know, create this feeling of welcome to my place so that they, so when guests walk from, through the front door, they could look them in the eye and say, welcome to my place and mean it. Um, and, and so we did it in a number of different ways with a number of different people. And, you know, over time, we've cleaned that up into a sort of more understood um, uh, process, you know, um, part of the process, um, which is what we have now. And there are uh, 20 partners in Peach now, mostly made up of, of people we've been working with for a long time who've, you know, who've come through the ranks, which is something that we're hugely proud of. Mm, that's really good. And is that something, so if, you, if, you, if they come within the ranks, is that sort of almost like, you, you know, they earn uh, a part of the business, I suppose, because it is nuanced, I guess, you know, we've had various bonus schemes and it, and it might be a percentage of profit. So hopefully, you know, still still bought in because it's very much in, under your control and perhaps not capped, but there is something about ownership that makes people feel different, but it can be quite complex to achieve that through sort of shareholder agreements and various mm. things. Yeah. For those people who've, who've gone particularly that route, that sort of in-house route, how, how have you what's the formula you found that works best um well every actually it's a i i thought at the beginning that people like would be like me that they just want to own it and actually that's not the truth a lot of people want to work in a in a business that is really well run really stable um and with a, a mixture of you know people around them who um you know, have different skills. So the sort of the scheme, the the program we run now is about shared ownership, but it's it's less about you own that pub over there and you own a bit of that pub over there and more about collectively um we own this thing. Um uh, and you know we could look we could we could certainly spend this podcast and you know and, and another few podcasts just on this but um yeah yeah it's 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 that's great have you got time no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet for a beer one day lee and yeah yeah i'll sure. pick your brain yeah i'm asking for a friend lee i just want to know <laughs> but no, I've got a couple of circumstances in mind but you're right we'll do that separately so so back to the story then yeah you you, you sort of fulfilled those that learning and ambition and goals i guess uh yeah. with with raymond and the various businesses yeah what was the final thing that you went right uh here i go and and just tell me how did that uh take place to get your first pub um well I'd, i I'd, so i decided so that my second year went well um i'd then decide so then i'd set myself a challenge of using uh i think it was a day a week to write my business plan so i was you know still working full time but on, you know on a day off um i'd write my business plan i was also drive i decided that that sort of south birmingham area was a really good area to get started it wasn't overpopulated with um gastro pubs um i'd seen a few fantastic ones uh uh, owned by some people who've become uh, Paul, Paul Hales and Paul Salisbury, who've become great friends, um, who I worked with for a very short period of time, um, and uh, I was learning that 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 Birmingham commuter belt I thought was a was a good place to start. So I was sort of I had my map, I had my business plan, and then actually my my then boss uh, Sunil. Um, who I was, you know, good friends enough and honest enough with to say, look, this is where I think I'm going to go. Um, introduced me to um, Hamish and his wife, Joe, uh, who had 
they'd sold Hamish's family business and Hamish was taking a bit of time out and was living in the south of France. And I phoned up uh, and said, uh, I hear you're looking for what to do next. Um, and uh, Hamish flew back and came and saw some some locations. So I sort of then I had a business partner um, and then we you know where I was explaining the product and we uh and then we would do i think we joe became involved um in a wine tasting because she has got a particular passion for for um you know quality of of wine and, and great wine producers so we we were doing a wine tasting together um and so there's you know the the pieces of the puzzle sort of started coming together um and then i so i decided i just got to the point where it was like okay put the uh you know it's time to it's time to time to do it so i i handed him my notice um and i remember i went uh i went to catch the train down to oxford to go and see raymond personally to to give him my notice and uh bought the bought the newspaper and opened the paper and there was an article by Sting, and I've still got it somewhere. I can't remember the date, uh, but it was, must have been November uh, 2001 at some time. And uh, I opened the newspaper and it said, take a risk and never look back. And it was about Sting's uh, journey, because I think he was wasn't he a um, primary school teacher or something like that. That's right. Yeah, uh, he started, yeah. and... Uh, and I was like, "It's an omen." <laughs> yeah, and I, went, and I went to see Raymond and uh, and handed him my notice, and uh, he wished wished me well. Um, thankfully, tried to get me to stay. <laughs> um, but, um, always, always, uh, always good for the ego. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, wish me well, and um, and uh, and and I was off, uh, and that sort of really that sort of um, yeah band of that was the start band of three yeah so it's me um me as the operator um hamish sort of started out as very sort of he, he wasn't he, he was doing a number of things at the time so it was it was a couple of years later or really a year later when we found another pub um and things were starting to go quite quickly for us um and then joe started working alongside uh us as well on the I think she started on that if you can't beat them join them theory um, but um, we were we sort of formed into three musketeers pretty quickly um, and, and Joe started getting involved with the interior and the sort of look and feel of the pubs um, as well as working with me on products starting with wine but quickly progressing into menu and um i think something we've always been good at is having a mix of sort of the male and the female opinion on everything the way it looks the music that's on the playlist the food that's on the menu um uh and so the three of us were sort of working closely together from from uh, early on yeah, nice. Yeah. So those first couple of pubs, then the the One Elm and the Rose and Crown. What did you do to them? Because they were, you know, was it was it a case of really good timing as well as good skill? Because you you took those, and, and what was the transformation they process that, that they went through, and what was the uh, what was the result of that? Um. Uh, well, the uh, the 
Well, the re- actually, we, we went from one to three in one big jump, um, partially because we were brave. Um, and I'd, uh, the third, well, the, the, the second stroke third pub was the Fleece at Whitney, um, which had been refurbished, uh, developed by someone else, but they, they hadn't made a very good job of operating it and it wasn't, wasn't going very well. And I built a relationship with Green King uh, and uh, been down and were almost to the point of signing on the dotted line when uh, the One Elm came up, which was a freehold, um, but it had gone bust. And we had this opportunity to buy a freehold. And uh, so I went back to Green King and said, look, I'm really sorry. Uh, no, you know, I think the Fleece is a really great pub, but um, this freehold has come up and it's closer. And uh, anyway, long story short, they they really needed an operator and they said, no, <laughs> no, you're not backing out. Um, and they offered us a, a, a cracking deal um, to not back out. So um, we looked at each, we looked each other in their eyes and said, do we think we can do both? Um, and then, so you learn pretty fast about multi-site operation when you go from one to three sort of in 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 one big jump so suddenly you're running you know well it probably wasn't 100 people you know you know with part-timers and whatever 25 people a pub suddenly you've got a team of 75 um three different locations with three different buildings slightly different offers um and all the sort of complexity that that brings uh, yeah, that was a trial by fire. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, at least there were three of you, I suppose. You could have had one yeah. each, but <laughs> yeah. not, not well, and two, like two kids. My, you don't want to be two. outnumbered. <laughs> two of my sisters in the business at that stage. And, yeah. Yeah. So so it's interesting, isn't it, the big pub thing? And, and I suppose this is your secret, I guess. So what, what can you do, what do you do, or what did you do to a pub that big companies can't do? Because that was really the secret to your success, I guess. Um, uh, now, well, it was then as it was, is now is, is make it more personal. Um, and you know, the, I think the casual dining whole market has been a victim of, of, you know, it has been very, there's lots of success out there, but there's also, um, a degree of, of failure of people thinking that they can, build a model and, and roll it out very, very fast and not lose the magic. And some industries, you can do a phenomenal growth. Um, uh, but growing the number of locations in hospitality uh, fast is is really, really hard. And, and you can, I don't know what exactly is the right pace. Um, we certainly are looking for um, you know, we're, we're looking forward optimistically to the next stage and think that we can do two or three over the coming year or so. Um, but trying to do 10 a year is is very hard. Um, so I think getting the pace right, that you can build a team of people that understand each other and believe in the same values and have actually worked alongside each other to develop that muscle memory um, of how, you know, that. Uh, that, that is required to make a really good team so that everything is covered. And as you said, right at the beginning, you know, we're open seven days a week. A lot of our places do breakfast as well, you know, so we're running from 6.30 in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week. And no one individual can can be there in the amount of time that you are open. So you need several people. Um, uh, and it takes it takes time to to grow 
the the, the quantum of people that all um, have the uh, the same goals and there's and enough um, similarity in their way of operating that, uh, that, that gets that continuity. And we've been, you know, we've done some things sort of now to really um, sort of turbo that. So we've got um, so uh, a chef you may or may not know called Clive Dixon joined us um, uh, a couple of years ago and works with our chef team. So he was Heston Blumenthal's right hand man for a, for a long time, as well as having had his own pub in the past. And I think he, and he's held a Michelin star. So he's working with. Trevor and, and Sam, who've worked with us for a really, really long time on developing great menus, um, great recipes, really, really replicable um, stuff that we can that we can teach our chefs. Um, and we're still um, one of the things that I think we do do differently is we're still growing kitchens full of of great cooks, great chefs. You know, we're not trying to take, we're not trying to de-skill totally de-skill our kitchens um so which is part of why you still get this sort of you know passion from the team so i'm not saying we make everything um on site because some things are um, are not made better um but we but we're still cooking you know fresh food all the time every day and teaching people how to teaching people how to cook yeah, that's interesting, that isn't it? Because one of the temptations has become, I mean, again, you alluded to this, you know, it's become much harder since you started in 2002 to get this right. And I'm sure there's lots of reasons for that. But if you look at the backdrop, I suppose, to the to the casual dining sector over the last few years, you know, it has had higher staff costs, uh, pension costs, living wage, food inflation, mm. uh, rates, taxes, it, it, you know, the, the margins have just become more and more squeezed. And often the uh, the compromise that's made is, yeah, let's simplify the, the, the kitchen, let's have less people, let's buy stuff in, let's have cheaper ingredients, and, and people start to compromise and that often feels that's when you get that that slippery slope and it's such a common trajectory of those sort of casual brands that have ended up you know having to take that approach you, you can't pass the the cost on to the customer um, mm. you can't afford to operate any lower margin so you end up cutting corners how, how have you navigated that because it's, it's you know it's been impressive that you've continued to do so yeah well look, let's be blunt we have been taxed to death over 20 years you know it is it, it's brutal the uh, the onslaught of tax in our our sector and un- unfair, you know, um, you know rates, you know the rateable values of our buildings, um, you know VAT has gone from you know fifteen to seventeen and a half to twenty percent, minimum wage has been pushed um, rightly uh, ahead of um, inflation and you know the and the, but the whole country was used to a price point that was basically funded by people being underpaid which they are now not you know our industry is now is now you know is is much more fairly rewarded but of course that has an impact on price so together with the 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 cost of the team and the onslaught of uh of tax um it's been really really difficult um and you've had and you know only the only the most sophisticated have made um a great job of it and then Overlaying on top of that, that we're now trying to be part of the movement towards a more sustainable future, um, you know, and and, and I don't believe that we, you know, we believe it's the right thing to do, and we believe that we should all be taking part in it. 
um, not take, you know, being not just taking part, but actually making real change. But we're not um, supported to do that by the government. So, you know, we we run, you know, these lovely old historic buildings. Why are we not being incentivized to um, insulate them? You know, uh, three times better than they are, so that we use less energy. We've just taken a decision to move our, you know, to move our electricity to. Um, you know, green supply, um, uh, wind, wind power, electricity, you know, and that's costing us about £10,000 uh, a year. And so, you know, we, we look around the table and we say, are we prepared to spend that extra money because it's the right thing we to do? Yes, we are. But we don't get any, you know, we certainly don't get any, any credit for doing that. Um, buying free range chickens, as you all well know, is twice the price of buying non-free range chickens, but it's a value that we won't, um, that we won't step back on. So, you know, all these extra layers of sort of self-imposed cost to try and and move in the right direction is an incredibly difficult puzzle to try and piece together and still be profitable, still make enough money to um, repay your interest rates on your borrowings and repay the the loan to the bank and, um, and look after all the different stakeholders, be... And be, you know, and be successful and make a profit at the bottom. Um, not, not easy. Not getting any easier. And um, and hopefully, not just me, but lots of people on your podcast will, you know, keep banging on this drum and say, look, look after. You know, the government needs to get involved in helping us, helping us change for the better. All of us. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree with lots of things you said there. And, and it is complex. You know, we all want to pay our teams more. We all want to see them well employed. I think, mo- you know, a certain significant uh, proportion of us want to help with the planet and all that that entails. But yeah, it's so hard. You know, it's like business, isn't it? If if, if you're not making a profit, you, you can't do all of the things that you want to do. You don't change anything. You know, if you get going bust doesn't change doesn't change anything for anybody. So you've got to be successful to make positive change, but you've got to make some also make some really tough decisions that impact your ultimately impact your profitability. Um, talk, talk, talk together. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Talking about getting harder, and I'm going to touch on the pandemic pretty briefly in a second, but also, you know, sort of changing market, I suppose. How, how do you feel like you're now competing with, you know, the likes of Deliveroo and, uh, you know, Uber and even, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and stuff like that? What, you know, what's your experience of that? I don't know, just changing habits, I suppose, of the consumer. Um, yeah, we definitely are competing with all of those. Um, at the same time, I really believe my, from my own personal experience of, of being locked down um, and seeing how people responded after the first lockdown is that is I miss my friends. I'm sure you're missing your friends and we are all missing our, um, our, our friends. So Deliveroo can actually deliver you some pretty amazing food right now. People are doing a great job of, of takeaway and delivery. But um, and we can sit in front of Zoom. I'm in fact I'm going to a friend's Zoom birthday party this weekend, and I'm really looking forward to seeing a bunch of my buddies. But I'm looking forward to it about half as much as I would be if we were were in the room to, together. And so, all of these different bits of competition, at the end of the day, don't replace us sitting around the table. And I don't exactly know why. Maybe it's because 
so much of our communication is is non-verbal. Maybe it's because if we're on a Zoom call, you can't reach across the table and top up your friend's glass of wine. Uh, maybe it's because you have all these sort of slightly subliminal side conversations um, around a table where you're talking to one person, but you're communicating with others. And I don't, I don't really know quite what it is, but I think what this has proven, and and no matter what types of competition come, that pubs, you know, great pubs, great restaurants, great cafes, great hotels will survive and thrive because we. No, we're because we're human and we like hanging out with each other um, in in a space. So um, yeah, tough. Lots of competition. Lots of new competition that didn't exist. Um, certainly when we started Peach. Um, but but I'm actually I'm actually pretty positive about about the future. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think, I think we all are, and I think you're right. I think it is that you know once it's taken away, you realise just how much you appreciate and where we might have been nervous about you know the changing like we say the cultural differences i suppose now it's been taken away yeah i don't really speak to anybody who's not looking forward to getting down to the pub or getting out to a restaurant and i do think yeah given permission to trade um trade will be strong speaking of which you know you paint, paint a picture how how bad is it you've got a lot of contacts in the industry you've been in the industry a long time i'm not sure people always appreciate what's going on what's your experience of the pandemic in hospitality you know how how much is it hurting and who's going to come out the other side is it the big chains that can go and raise funds from shareholders or is it the more nimble independence and how many people you know won't open what, what can you tell us your thoughts on the pandemic um yeah i think we won't we won't re- truly tell what won't reopen until furlough gets wound down and that's when we're going to see the true cost of this thing and it's going to be uh pretty pretty sad and there's going to be people losing their businesses that who really don't deserve to um uh so i'm not not looking forward to that. Um, yes, some of the bigger groups who can, you know, raise a lot of money, you know, are gearing up to sort of take advantage and, and grow fast. But there will also be, um, I believe, lots of wonderful startups popping up. You know, people, you know, maybe, you know, like me, you know, if I, if if I'd been, you know, um, working in a in a restaurant, you know, as that sort of guy in his twenties. Now, you, surely you'd see this as a as the opportunity moment to get out and do that thing you'd always dreamed of, um, because suddenly the you know the rules will have changed and there will be lots of places up for um, you know to to lease or buy or or whatever and, and get started. So I don't think it's going to be one size fits all. Um, I hope the I hope the banks will will back people, not just you know not just not just not just the big boys um because i'd like to see a variety of of new things to to try and and it be a really re- sort of refreshing time um in the industry uh i've given up making too many predictions because over the past year <laughs> we've had several good laughs at our board about you know how many predictions <laughs> have not proven to be uh accurate at all because it's very very difficult to second guess exactly what's going to happen but you know it's going to be it's going to be a shake-up isn't it like we've never seen before um and i and i hope um that lots of good will come out of it as well as, well as lots of lots of sadness mm. 
Yeah, no, I share that. Talking about predictions, actually, and yeah, I've been in some farcical meetings. Well, certainly in the early days, we we, we gave up pretty early on as well, making plans. But have <laughs> you invested in a lot of uh, outdoor space and marquees and stuff like that, ready to reopen for Christmas, knowing that people needed to sit outside? Because certainly a lot of the industry seemed to invest in so much stuff and, and then get maybe 10 days trade and be shut down again. Were you savvy yeah. enough to throw in the towel early on or had you also invested in outside space? Oh, no, 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 we're, we're optimists. So we'd gone, <laughs> we'd gone, yeah, we'd gone big, <laughs> we'd gone big. Oh. <laughs> so we've um, got all these beautiful stretch structures all outside, you know, outside covered areas with, you know, lighting and heating and um, blankets and, you know, um, made them all really beautiful. And, uh, yeah, they're all just sitting um <laughs> you know, aging and empty, um, ready to uh, ready to be used again, and hopefully not. It's lovely that you're laughing about that, Lee. Well done. <laughs> I think yeah, it's the it's the sign of the sector where we could be quite so beaten and uh, and just yeah, you just have to laugh it off, don't you? And think, my God, you know, I could have saved an absolute fortune, but what what more can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you were sat then thinking about, you know, how we come out the other side, I suppose, of this and, and the opportunities, if you get the opportunity to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a beer with um, Boris and Rishi, what would you say to them? Um, oh, God, big question. Um, this isn't, you know, uh, this isn't the, the end of the, the, the line for supporting our, our industry. We employ... A hell of a lot of people. We are our places are the lifeblood of a lot of communities. Um, you've created a, a you know, you've created a tax regime that really is pretty brutal on our sector. Um, we all businesses need to change to more sustainable practice, and that isn't for free. Um, and you've got to accept that there's a cost to doing that. And we, you know, however, um, however you engineer it, uh, one of my one of my favourite uh, people uh, who I think is making a real great change at the minute is uh, Yvonne Schoenard with his, you know, with, uh, from Patagonia with one percent for the planet, you know, which is a great model of you know imposing a self taxation of one percent of turnover that is, you then invest in 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 improving the environment and you know and the government needs to look at the, those type of models and say you know we need to we need to create that nationally you know okay VAT for our sector should be whatever whatever number works but not 20 and but one percent of whatever that number is is into a fund that helps hospitality operate in a more sustainable way um, and I don't exactly know how that would work but Rishi is the Rishi is the big brain in there I'm sure he could come up with a with a, a way that that could work and I think it's really important right now I was going to give you a lot longer with Boris and Rishi than that, um, Lee, but well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need half a day, to be honest, to uh, to feed up. But talking of time, uh, alas, and, and we'll have to do this again because there's all sorts of stuff around sort of 
the the team you've got you know great reputation uh for how you look after people uh sustainability and ethics your 10 promises there's all sorts of stuff but it would require another hour and we're nearly out of time so i just want to sort of finish on the future i suppose and and peaches more than yours because we started with yours at the beginning um at one point you know right in the early days you said you wanted a a, you know a great peach gastro pub in every market town in england uh has that ambition changed and and what's the trajectory i suppose you know how do you see the next few years panning out well every market town is a big ambition but we could certainly do a lot more and we're better prepared for growth than ever and i still believe it would be amazing if you could confidently find a great gastro pub every time you visited a new town in the same way that you can find other food and drink outlets quality pubs are one of the key elements that make somewhere a really attractive place to live Uh, so every market town is a big goal but I think Peach and some of the other operators out there are making great inroads into making that happen. Uh, prediction, when do you think we'll or you'll be reopening? Uh, I'm an optimist. I'm going to say we'll get the doors back open in March. In some oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love that. I love it. Um, but it needs to, not, you know, it, we, it, when we do open you know, opening, but with both arms tied behind your back is absolutely no good to any of us and will just cause, you know, a death by a thousand cuts. So that's no way. So we've got to, we've got to make sure that we're in control of, of this thing and that actually we can open where, you, you know, because people are going to, you know, just saying you can only go out with people from your own household is, is no opening at all. Um, you've got you've got to be able to mix. We are a we are a place where people want to mix. So we've got to open uh, with with enough freedom that we can operate profitably. Otherwise, they're just going to create the carnage in the industry. Mm. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Just how bad Christmas trade was with with most of the country. I mean, obviously, you know, different pockets, but certainly our pocket. I don't know about yours was, you know, tier two, and uh, yeah, Christmas trade. And you think, my goodness, if I can't operate in December, you know, with this rule that you can only go out with your household, then the rest of the year, you know, it's just going to be impossible. So I think you're right. I think we're speaking with a unified voice to say that, yeah, if, if they take away the support and say, right, you're on your own, but you've, you, you know, you can only serve people in your house, um, that's that's not going to work, and it'll be uh, it'll be a death sentence um we are unfortunately uh, out of time lee although i definitely let's hope i hope you're right and it is march and certainly next time we do this you know let's meet for a for a beer sat in the sunshine somewhere mm. and perhaps have another half um, of the questions that i've got in place but for people who want to follow you know you or your journey and peach journey are you particularly active yourself on any particular social media and where's the best place to go for peach pubs um well no peach pubs is definitely the making life peachy um website uh, uh there's a great page on there with our our 10 promises um as of all the things that we're that we're trying to do to be the best gastro pub company on the planet um you can also find all the all the pubs uh there um i haven't been particularly active on social uh recently i've sort of taken a bit of a step back um but i'm i'm sure uh that won't last forever <laughs> <laughs> if there was one that lured you back in, which one was it likely to be? Well, which platform? Yeah. Were you ever active on any of them? Uh, I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm more visual than words. So uh, yeah. Instagram's more me than Twitter. Your thing. Mm. Perfect. Okay. 
Well, I will put links up in the show notes to this episode on the website where people can find all of the, uh, the, the various places to, to find you and Peach that I can find. But for now, thank you so much, Lee, for sparing the time. Congratulations on your journey, and I'll be excited to see what happens next. And uh, yeah, hopefully our paths will pass in person soon. But thank you. Yeah, okay. I look forward to that. Thanks for your time. Congratulations, you've made it to the end of the show. Quite a long one, but as you heard, I still have heaps of topics and questions to ask Lee. If you enjoyed the conversation and think I should get Lee back on again to talk about all the stuff that we ran out of time for, please do head over to the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk and fill in the feedback form to let me know. Or anything else you're thinking of, topics, guest ideas, general feedback, things you'd like to hear more about or perhaps less about, ideal length of show, whatever's on your mind, tell me and if I can help, then I will. And whilst you're on the website, do sign up for the weekly newsletter. I'll only send you one email once a week on a Monday with a link to that week's show and any useful website links or perhaps social media links that have come up during the conversation. And if you are feeling generous, the website is the perfect place to buy me a thank you beer for doing the show. You can make a one-off PayPal payment or regularly support the show through Patreon. That really helps me out in justifying the time and the cash in keeping these chats going. Right, I'll be back next Monday morning with a brand new show for you. But for now, have a great week. Cheers.